Our Bible study tonight begins in Romans chapter 10 at verse 12. But you know, there's just sometimes that a little topic or something grabs hold of you and you just can't shake it. So there's one that's got me tonight. And that is that the Lord's coming could be so very close. It's the middle of July. The Feast of Trumpets is September 26. So we're just 10 or 11 or 12 weeks, something like that away. And I want to talk about something from the book of Hebrews. So if you turn with me to Hebrews, please. Because you know I answer questions all week long. As many as I can. And sometimes... People just have a hard time grasping some concepts that I want to make sure that we all understand and are on the same page. How are we saved? By faith. Any other way? No. We're saved by faith. But how many of you wrote a doctoral thesis and the university said you get to score it and decide whether you pass and graduate or not. Yeah, me neither. It doesn't work that way. Who will judge us come judgment day? Our Messiah Yeshua will. So it's not based upon whether we think we're saved or not but rather he knows whether we're saved or not. And take a look at Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 18. And to whom did he, that is the Lord, swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. If you would ask any one of those in the desert, who is your God? They would have said, the Lord is our God. If you had said, do you believe the Lord is your God? They would have said, we believe the Lord is our God. And if you would have said, will you do what he says? They would have said, well, of course not. We're free to do as we please. And then God will just have to take us as we are. But what does the Bible say? How does God judge our faith? By our obedience. And that's all that we're trying to get across in this fellowship. Is that we obey the commandments of the Lord our God not to earn salvation because that's not possible. So why do we do it? Because we are saved. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And those in the wilderness, if you had asked them, they would have said, yes, we believe in the Lord. But how did the Lord judge them? Is they did not. So they say, we have faith. He said, no, you don't. That's the same thing you see in Matthew chapter 7. When they come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these mighty things in your name? Of course we believed in you. What does he say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Is it because they didn't earn enough brownie points to be saved? No. 
is because their actions demonstrated a lack of faith. Who was it in the Bible that says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works? That's the book of James. The Christian theologians don't like that book. But is it consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches? It absolutely is. So come September 26th, I don't want to see half y'all left behind, right? I don't want anybody left behind. So let's get on with Romans before I get too preachy. Romans chapter 10 verse 12. Which begins for. What does F-O-R for mean? Because. Because is verse 11. For the scripture says whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But what does that mean? What happened when Messiah would cast demons out of somebody? What would the demons say? You're the Lord. You're the Son of God. We know who you are. If you come to torture us before the time, does that mean they're saved? No. Book of James says they acknowledge there's one God. They tremble, and yet they're not saved. Where's the disconnect? People misunderstand the word believes. Maybe it's our fault as parents. How many parents grew up teaching their children about Jesus, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and everything all at the same time? And then you start knocking them down one time. Well, that, that's really not true. We just told you that. And this one's not true. We just told you that. But finally we say, yeah, but, but this one's really true. And they go, yeah, okay. So maybe it's our fault. But whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. But what does it mean to believe? If you believe him, what? A continual action. It's not just a feeling, is it? It's a participle. It's continuing. Look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Yeah, it doesn't say who believed on him once upon a time. And Paul's going to just drive that point home. But in John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. Anybody want to know how that sentence ends? I do. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. Do you know him? Don't you wish there was some place in the Bible it's a test of knowing him? Good thing there is. Good thing there is. It's 1 John 2. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. Didn't John 17, 3 say, this is eternal life that we know him? So you could substitute it here and say, now by this we know that we have eternal life, if we keep his commandments. He says, I know him and does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. 
These verses keep me awake at night as I worry about people. So let's go back to Romans 10 and see if my worry is misplaced. Verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, meaning between Jew and Gentile. What's he mean by that? There's one way of salvation. There's not two. What did Messiah himself say in John 14, 6? You can quote it to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So there aren't two ways. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Perhaps part of what has me in the mood that I'm in is still thinking about that recent teaching that I listened to where an independent Baptist preacher was mocking our faith and saying we're trying to make religion like it was back in the early church in the first century. To which I go, that's not a mocking, that's just a true statement. If you could have worshipped with Peter, Paul, James, or John, would it have been on Sunday morning or Shabbat? Would it have been while eating a ham sandwich or no? So he's absolutely right. The purpose of a congregation like ours is to try and restore the worship of God to that which he requires of us and demonstrated to us back in the first century. So, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Does that remind anybody of the Shema? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How many gods are there? There's one. If there's one God, who's the God of? Everybody. One God, one flock, one shepherd. Where's that in John? That's in John 10. Yep, one flock, one shepherd, one path. Let's go look at it. John chapter 10. I'm all off my outline, but let's not worry about that. Verse 14, John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have. Who are those other sheep? That's the non-Jews, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. That's Matthew 28's great commission. They will hear my voice. What does it mean to hear my voice? Shema Bakolo means what? They will hear and obey. They don't bring that out in English, so I want you to write it in there. To hear my voice is to obey me. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. And I know I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it 200 more if the Lord gives me the chance. How many ways can one flock follow one shepherd? One way. Is that one path he wants to lead us in? The way of the Gentiles? How do you know? Ephesians 4.17. Let's go to Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. 
Ephesians 4.17. This is the Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Is he making it up? Is he saying, oh, this is just my opinion? No. He says, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So if we're following the Lord as one flock after one shepherd down one path, and it's not the way of the Gentiles, it must be what? The way of the Lord. You know, in Acts 15. And in Acts 15? They need to do these four things in order to what? The in order to come into the synagogue and learn the rest. And learn the way of God. And learn the way of God. Put away the Gentile stuff and learn the way of God. If they're not willing to give up the outward trappings of pagan idolatry, are they serious about believing in God? The answer is no. So let's get back on script. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul is being very consistent when he says there are not two paths. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Messiah, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But what's the next word? For. Because. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So if you put those three verses together, whether you were born a Jew or a Gentile, if you have come to God by faith, and you will live by faith, do you live in righteousness or lawlessness? Is there any gray area there? Because it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Hmm. Romans 2.9. We'll start in verse 5 for context because I hate to start in the middle of a sentence. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart. What's an impenitent heart? Unrepentant. You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. What's the day of wrath? Anybody know? That's the tribulation period, the day of the Lord. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Doesn't say words, does it? Huh. Which really reveals your heart, your words or your deeds? Deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good... Seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. 
tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So when you speak to somebody and you say the scripture says that once we're saved by faith, God expects us to follow the commandments. And they say, oh, you're just a Judaizer. You want to make us into Jews. How do you respond to a statement like that? You tell them Yeshua was a Jew. Verse 7 right here in chapter 2 says eternal life. Verse 7 says eternal life is to those who by what? Patient continuance in doing good. If you think back to the tree in the Garden of Eden, it was the tree of what? Not the tree of life, but the other one. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Hebrew says tovarah, the knowledge of good and bad. So which is the doing good, the obeying God or the disobeying God? Obeying God, but it says in doing good, does it mean God expects us to be keeping his commandments? Because if you look at the flip side of the coin, the ones who are receiving the indignation and wrath don't obey the truth. The ones who are receiving indignation and wrath do not obey the truth, which Psalm 119 verse 142 tells us is the, the Torah, the law, the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God. But Wayne, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says, don't keep the commandments. No, he doesn't. Honestly, the answers I usually get are, well, that's what my pastor says. Okay. Is he going to be your judge on judgment day? No. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Messiah, the power of God and the wisdom of God, meaning Messiah is for whom? Just Jews and Gentiles, nobody else. <coughs> but there is no other group, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And all have been made to drink into one spirit. What this verse is trying to say is that once we get saved, we are one. Whether we were born a Jew or a Gentile no longer matters. We are one in Messiah. Ever hear that song by Joel Chernoff, Jew and Gentile, One and Messiah? Beautiful song. And it's so very true. So many people take that and say, that means all the Jews became Christians. Yeah, that's exactly what they think, is that Jews converted to Christianity, and then they all became Gentiles. Yeah. Well, you've heard... I, I've shown you and sent out copies of the oath that Jews had to take to become a Christian, quote unquote. Yeah, it, it went exactly from the acts that of what you have to do 
in order to even come in and study with us to what you have to do if you want to be part of the church and not persecuted. Exactly. It was a total flip on its head. Total flip on its head from what the Bible requires. I spoke to a I wonder who's, who's behind that. Yes, ma'am. I spoke to a Jewish man from here, actually his wife, but she said that he's a fulfilled Jew, meaning he celebrates Christmas and Easter and goes to church oh, on Sunday. Okay. He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. Yeah, okay. Galatians chapter 3. What does the Bible say? Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. But you are all sons of God. You could translate that just as well. You are all children of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For as many of you as were baptized in a Messiah have put on Messiah. Meaning you're now living like Messiah lived. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you are Messiahs, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Doesn't matter what your parents were. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Colossians 3, verse 11. For there is neither Greek nor Jew, Circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Messiah is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy, which is the Greek word hagios, and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, why did I point out that the word holy in verse 12 is hagios? Because that Greek word is also translated as Saint. saints. Does Revelation 14, 12 tell us what characterizes a saint of God? Yes. Let's take a quick look. Revelation 14, 12. It means that most who say they are are not. You know, the Lord said there's this great big road and there's this little bitty road. Verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints, the Hagios. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua. Can you stand before the Lord on judgment day with just one of the two? The answer is no. You've got to have both. Back to Romans. If we had 30 more years, in my view, we could take things a little easier. But boy, it's time we make a decision. I was going to bring over the candles from the table, but then I thought, well, you know, that might be going a little bit too far. Verse 13, Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
People point to that verse and say, see, you just have to say Jesus and you're saved. Is that what it means to call on the name of the Lord? It is not. Let's go back to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, which is all about the tribulation period, the second coming of the Lord. Why do preachers corrupt simple verses like this and, and cause people to honestly believe a lie? I think it's because those preachers honestly believe the lie. They were taught by people who were taught by people who were taught. They're just not reading. I mean, you know, they claim to be students of the word. They claim to have been to seminary. They, you know, etc. And yet, and you can see, I have sat up. Not only can you sit up, you probably have too. I've sat up till two and three in the morning discussing strongly with a preacher or with plural preachers what the scripture says and they simply deny it right just deny it right Joel chapter 2 verse 32 oh can you believe it Paul quoted from Joel did he not realize Joel was in the Old Testament Yes, he did. Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time. What is at that time referred to? Tribulation. When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem... I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they scattered among the nations. They've also divided up my land. They've cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Um, is it sounding like the Lord's saying they're not very godly people? They're not very observant. And when did he just say that? Just this week. Yeah. And when he spoke about, we must remember the honor of the Holocaust, I thought I was going to fall out of my chair. But he was just a misspeaking. I hope. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Look at the scripture in Joel about calling on the name of the Lord. Yep. To, so, and that's like who God is saying, don't be like those people. Right. So if we have a president, for instance, just hypothetical, who considers himself a Christian and a good Catholic, and who goes and tells Israel they must divide the land and divide the city of Jerusalem, does he really believe 
or does he not? Zechariah 12 talks about a cup of drunkenness upon all those who try and separate God's land. And Becky's right. Every time our government does something like that, we have a major natural disaster. So look out. But, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 20, remember, we're on tape. Okay. 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wait a minute. That's not Paul quoting from Joel. This is what Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, is quoting from Joel. Isn't it important, though, that he, it, when it says this, it always refers to the name of the Lord. Yes. And then that's part of it. It's not just saying the name. It's acknowledging the Lord. And Lord means master, the one I serve. That's exactly where I'm going. That's what we found last week in Romans 10.9. The word curio, not curi. Okay, let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. I know usually I try and start in the Old Testament and go forward, but this time it was necessary to start and bounce around like this. At least I thought it was. Because in Genesis 12, 8, it tells us, and he, Abram, who was later renamed Abraham, moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So it shows you there he's not just calling out a name. To call on the name of the Lord is to say, you are my Lord. I am your servant. I will be obedient to you, which Genesis chapter 26 tells us in no uncertain terms that he was. So go to Genesis 26. To call on the name of the Lord is to have faith in. Yes, sir. That's him renouncing the gods of his fathers and saying, the Lord our God is my God, my Lord, my master, you I will serve. You know where I'm going, don't you? In Genesis 26, verse 4, God speaking to Isaac and says, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because. Abraham obeyed my voice. Shema Bekolo. And kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes. And my Torah, my laws. So how did God test Abraham's faith? By his actions. He said, take your son, your only son, up to the place where I show you and offer him there. And Abraham said, yep, Lord, we're going. And off they went. Hmm. 
Uh, the yes, sir. It doesn't tell us how, except the ancients tell us that Noah's son Shem, as you can see from the chart, overlaps Abraham. And they say that Shem lived in Ur of the Chaldees and taught Abraham that Abraham was his student. And he taught him all about the God that delivered him from the flood. Is that true or not? We'll have to ask Abraham when we see him. But as you look at the charts, I believe Hashem actually outlived Abraham. Mm -hmm. He did. You know, there were instances where the Lord actually came to Abraham also. There were also instances where the Lord came to Abraham, yeah. But the point is, the scripture doesn't have to tell us how he knew. He, just somehow... he knew and obeyed. And Job was a contemporary, possibly, of Abraham, and he knew. Correct. So we have, we have several pieces of evidence that People knew the law of the Lord. It just was not in the form that Moses took it down. It may have, yep. been, it may have been extant. When Moses went up and received the commandments, that was a, a condensed form of it in a sense. Uh -huh. Because you know, he says all the law and the prophets can be summed in these two commandments, and Yeshua said. So it was already out there. People knew. Yep. I think Moses probably was saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to put this down in a book. Yeah. Because you people are beginning to spread rumors and tell it <laughs> like it's not. Let's put it down. Yeah. Have you played it. the telephone game? That's right. Exactly. So they wrote it down. But does the scripture say that sin is not imputed where there is no law? That's right. Yes. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah long before Mount Sinai. Yeah. He judged them because of their sin. Same with Adam same with Adam and Eve. Same with Cain and Abel. Everybody. Yeah. God has always been just. Yep. He, he doesn't punish people for something that they don't know, but he says it's written in their hearts. Yep. They know right from wrong. Romans says it. If you look at back to when Abraham told two different kings, she's my sister. <laughs> and the king said, I might have committed adultery with her and sinned in the eyes of God. So, yeah. Yeah. So the law did not start at Mount Sinai. It was from the beginning. And we know that from Genesis 1.14. Yep. Okay, but we digress. Let's go back to Romans chapter 10. We're up to verses 14 and 15. 14 and 15 are some very important words. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So what is step one to calling on the Lord? You have to believe in the Lord. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So before you can believe in the Lord, you must hear about the Lord. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So I put down a list of these five characteristics or points or truths that God puts here in these two verses, but I put them in the reverse order. Number one, you must be sent. 
Number two, those that are sent must preach. Those that are preached to, number three, must hear. Number four, those who hear must believe. Number five, those who believe must call on the name of the Lord. Doesn't that, in a sense, duplicate what God says in Deuteronomy, where he says, teach these things to your children as you walk along the way, as you, you know, as you come through the gate, as you rise up in the morning and sit down? Yep, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And isn't that basically where Paul is actually looking back at that and saying, well, you know. Don't we wish people that people had done that? Yeah, the, the fact is, that's what the father and mother were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be the sentence. Yep. So, I mean, it just that outline you gave sounds just like that verse. Yep. It was when the children of Judah came back out of the Babylonian captivity that they set up synagogues because they realized that parents had not been teaching the children as they should have because they would be righteous for a generation then fall away for a generation then repent for a generation then fall away for a generation. So the idea of the synagogue was everybody can come in and learn whether their parents taught them or not and therefore we will never again violate God's commandments. That was the theory. Didn't work very well. We had a similar theory with public education that parents weren't teaching, therefore we needed. And John Dewey came in and said, "Give me your children, and I'll rule your nation." Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So let's go to Isaiah chapter fifty-two. Isaiah chapter fifty-two. Verse 7. Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who proclaims Yeshua, who says to Zion or Jerusalem, your God reigns. I love the fact that the word gospel there in the Old Testament, the good news, is basar. What does that word mean? Flesh or meat. So the good news is that God stepped down from his throne in heaven and took on a body of flesh and blood so that he could die in our place. Chapter Romans chapter 10 verse 16 but Paul is quick to anticipate objection Paul they don't all believe says but they have not all obeyed the gospel is he shocked is he surprised no he says for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our report Paul says of course they haven't all believed we were told 700 years ago that not all Israel would believe. Where does Paul quote from when he says, Lord, who's believed our report? That's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. 
Because when a rabbi throws out a verse, what are we supposed to do? Put it in context. What's the context of Isaiah chapter 53? The death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah. Which is just a little bit after what we quoted a few minutes ago about preaching the gospel. You're exactly right. Yep, they are absolutely connected, as you said. So Isaiah 53, 1, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord, the Zeroah Adonai, the arm of the Lord, been revealed? Why do I give us the Hebrew Zeroah Adonai? Is it to prove that I know a few Hebrew words? No. It's because on the Seder plate, the shank bone of the lamb is called the Zeroah, the Zeroah Adonai. Whenever you hear that term, think of the lamb sacrificed at Passover. And what did John call Messiah, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world? He called him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that Messiah is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. What the New Testament does is confirm that that which was prophesied in the Old Testament has come to pass or is yet to come. There's some of it that's yet to come. Back to Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What does that do to the Calvinistic doctrine that we don't need to preach the word because those who are going to be saved will be saved anyway? They have an excuse to explain that. Yeah. But it's very clear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Matthew, was it 28, 28? It would never be there. Matthew 28, 18. If you didn't need to preach it, why would you? Yeah, the Great Commission told us to go forth and preach it to whom? All the world. All the world. So again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What do you tend to study in seminary? Do you study the Bible or do you study commentaries? Commentaries. Commentaries. Cemetery because they bury the Bible. Messiah keeps saying, you've heard it said, but I tell you it's written. Yeah, and that's what the church did back in the fourth century, as they say, church custom takes precedence over the Bible. Where's that in here? I haven't found it yet. But let's go to Galatians 3. I'm not here to make fun of anybody else or to mock their teachings. I just want people to look and go, what does the Bible say? Because that's what we're going to get judged on come judgment day. Galatians chapter 3 verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit? What Spirit's that? Holy Spirit. By the works of the law... Or by the hearing of faith. What does he mean by the hearing of faith? Faith comes by hearing. 
and hearing by the word of God. And then in verse 5, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Why does Paul keep stressing that hearing of faith? He wants you to go back and read Romans chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. Back to Romans 10, verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? This is where you can see a tear start to flow down Paul's face if you were there. Have my people not heard? He says, yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Where's Paul quoting from there? From Psalm 19. Let's go back to Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. A Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord. What do you suppose that word is? The Torah of the Lord is perfect. That word is tamim. What is tamim? Without spot or blemish. Didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 5 through seven at least once that the law is good <coughs> what's that yep yeah let's look at that let's go to Romans 7 he builds up to it but in chapter 7 verse 12 he just drives it home like a home run hit over the fence Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Go back to Romans 5, verse 13. I, I referred to it, but I didn't have you go back and read it, so let's put it in your notes. The last half of the sentence says, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Why is that obvious? Because 1 John 3, 4 says sin is lawlessness. You can't violate the law if there isn't one. Don't you think he's really referring to it like children and people that are innocent because perhaps they're imbeciles? Or, you know, sin is not imputed because you can't understand what sin is. It, 
until a certain time. Yes, it includes that. He's, he's saying when he was a child, before he knew what the law was, he was innocent. But it still stands for the proposition that sin is not imputed when there is no law, because sin is transgression of the law. The knowledge that the sin came of the law to get slaved. It took yep. occasion by the law to slaved. Yep. Back to Romans 10, verse 19. But I say, did Israel not know? He's waiting for somebody to go, yeah, Paul, okay, but, but Israel has an excuse. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I'll move you to anger by a foolish nation. What's that talking about? Let's go back to Deuteronomy 32. Yes, it's about salvation will come to the Gentiles. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. Yeah, Paul's saying they should have known. It's not a grand mystery. Not a grand mystery, nope. Deuteronomy 32, 21. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. What's that referring to? Idols. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. Referring to the Gentile world. I'll move them to anger by a foolish nation. There was a big dividing point in about the year 135 of the Common Era. Are you guys familiar with what happened then at the Bar Kokhba Rebellion? Bar Kokhba was declared to be the Messiah by Rabbi Akiva, which was the leading rabbi of the day. And the Messianic Jews refused to fight for a false messiah, so they left the army. And the Jewish nation was crushed and destroyed. And the believers went to Pella in Jordan. And the non-believers went to Yavne. And that's where at Yavne they created what we call today rabbinic Judaism. It was how we get atonement and righteousness with God without the shedding of blood. And what does the word of God say? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's how can we do it our way without following God's way? Okay, back to Romans. Chapter 10, verse 20. Paul says, but Isaiah is very bold. And says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. These two verses are back to back in Isaiah 65. So let's go back to Isaiah 65. Essentially what Paul is saying, did this surprise God? No. Just go read the prophecies. God said it was going to happen. Does that give Israel an excuse? No, it does not. Isaiah 65, 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. 
I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Talking about the Gentile nations have come to God even though he wasn't forcing them to come. But verse 2 now talks to Israel. I stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Meaning what? Will they follow God's way? No, they insist they will go their own way. So let's turn back to Romans and start chapter 11. Because it continues the very same thought. Let me just pull these all off here. Okay. Verse 1. He's continuing the same argument. I say then, has God cast away his people? How do all those replacement theologians answer? Yes, yes they cast, God cast away them and replaced them with us. What does Paul say? Majinoito, certainly not. God forbid, meaning it never happened, never will happen. How does Paul know? He says, for because I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I'm saved. God did not cast me away. And Paul's the first one to go, but he should have. Because boy, did I persecute his church. But he said, I was zealous without knowledge. But one thing that I want you to notice, he does not say in verse 1, he doesn't say, I am a Jew. I'm going to talk about that. Because a lot of people misunderstand the Bible when it uses the word Jew. So the first thing I want to ask is, where is the first time that the word Jew appears in the Bible? So which is it? It's in the Kings. It's in the Kings. You're right. It's in the I think it's Second Kings, chapter twenty-six. Well, let's go look. Yeah, it's in the Kings. Let's see. Second Kings chapter 25, verse 25. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Netaniah, the son of Elishama of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Why does the word Jew never appear in the scripture until then? This word Jew means to the inhabitants of Judah. This is after Israel's divided into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. The word Jew here refers to one who is from the southern kingdom of Judah. Was Paul from the southern kingdom of Judah? No, Paul wasn't born in Israel. Well, Paul's from Tarsus. So that's why he doesn't say, I'm a Jew. Most people think when they hear the word Jew, they think of a religion, Judaism. 
Judaism only appears in the Bible twice. And that's in Galatians chapter 1 in two consecutive verses. Galatians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. Galatians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. The word in Greek is eudaismo. Eudaismo. I-O-U-D-A-I-S-M-O. Greek word 2454. Spell it more slowly. I-O-U-D-A-I-S-M-O. Greek word 2454. And let's read the verses here. The only place it appears. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. Being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So what Paul means here by the word Judaism and the way it's defined if you go back to the lexicon is the language of the southern kingdom, the religion of the southern kingdom of Judah. So when, when all the people were supposed to go up to the temple for the different celebrations, yeah. that didn't include the northern kingdom? They were supposed to. And that's the reason the king of the north set up the two pagan temples up there with the two golden calves. He said, if my people go down and worship at Jerusalem, they'll want to put the nation back together. That was a long time before the disciples who lived in Galilee, didn't Yes, that's correct. That's not in Judah. Correct. You're so, correct. So the northern kingdom of Israel went into captivity in 722 BCE and have never been heard from again. The people that lived up in the northern area you had the Samaritans, which were non-Jews, that were brought in by the Babylonians. And there were a few of the Jewish people who were up there working for you know, various purposes. Um, Yeshua's um, adopted father, Joseph, was up there because he was a stonemason working on the great um, Greek amphitheater there at Zipporah. And when, when Yeshua was going at age 12, to the temple and all the groups were going, those were just people who chose to obey the commandment, not all the people? Correct. It was the ones who were obedient. But notice they were all from Judah. They had just been scattered up into the north for like Saul working. Benjamin, which is Judah also, right? Benjamin is part of the land of Judah, but Paul wasn't born there. Oh, okay. Yes. Gotcha. He was born in Tarsus, which is up in Turkey, I believe. I just had the opinion that all of quote, what we call Israel today, that they all went up for the Shalish Regalim, whatever they call it. They were supposed to, the Shlosh Regalim. They were supposed to. If they were religious, if they were faithful, they if, went. If they followed the Torah. Right. But so many of them didn't. Yeah. Okay. So what's my point here? Is that we think of 
Judaism today as being the Judaism of the Bible, and it's not. It is something that was created in 135 Common Era after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, the people were dispersed, they weren't allowed to be in the land anymore. Jerusalem was renamed Aeoli Capitolina, and the land was renamed Palestine by the Romans to just completely destroy any remnants of the Jews. They cut down all the trees, they plowed the ground with, the ground with salt, etc. The word for Jews in the Greek is Iudion, I-O-U-D-A-I-O-N, which is Greek word 2453. And it refers to one who is from Judah. So the reason you don't see the word Jew until 2 Kings chapter 25 is it's not until after the nation is split that we make a distinction between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Okay, I'm confusing even me now, so let's go on to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, to the question of, will God ever cast off Israel for all of their sins? And God answers the question. And if you tell me that God has cast off Israel, you're calling my God a liar. Whoops, I see five numbers out there. Let's see. I don't think he did the last two verses of Romans 10. Yes, I did. Uh, that's where we went back to Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 and 2, which is where they came from. Oh, but here's other people saying, no, he did not. I did. I know I did. So let me stop reading the comments. Okay. I don't listen to me either, so I understand. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 to 37. Thus says the Lord. Now, let me ask. Does Psalm 89, verse 34 say, My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips? This says, Thus says the Lord. These words are coming out of his lips who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, what ordinances? The sun, moon, and stars. Are they still there? They're still there. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So if they have not ceased, then God has not cast off Israel. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they've done, says the Lord. So somebody tell me quickly, how many stars are in the heavens? Two. Well, good guess, but no. Someone with bad vision. <laughs> yeah, someone with bad vision would say that. Okay. The point is, God said he will never cast off Israel. So when Paul says in, in Romans 11, 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? 
He's really sure when he says meijanoito in Greek or certainly not God forbid it a King James or no way Jose in my own personal translation. Let's look also at Isaiah chapter 66. If God says something once, it's important. If he says it a hundred times, you better believe it. Oh, the comment now comes back. I said it was covered, but just wasn't spoken that I didn't read the verses. <laughs> well, when we go back and listen to the tape, we'll see that I did read them. Okay. Isaiah 66, verses 22 to 24. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord. What does that phrase just mean? Forever. Forever. So shall your descendants, who's the your? That's Israel. So shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who've transgressed against me, for their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. But the point is what? God says, so long as the new heavens and the new earth remain, so will Israel remain. And Sabbath will remain. And the feasts and festivals will remain. And who is it that's going to worship before the Lord at the Sabbath and the feasts and festivals? Just all flesh. That's everybody. And then the next note I have says, don't forget Psalm 89.34, but I already said that. Uh-oh, here's another one. Does somebody want to argue the point further? No. Okay. Back to Romans. Chapter 11. Verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. How then do you preach replacement theology that God did away with his people? You don't read it. That's right. Okay. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He doesn't say I'm Jew because he's not born in Judah. He was born in Tarsus. And that's in, I believe today, Turkey. Was Paul a Turkey? I don't know. Let's, let's not worry about that. No way, Jose. <laughs> no way, Jose. And Paul is, in fact, from Benjamin. Who else do we know in the scriptures that's real famous that was from Benjamin? King Saul. King Saul. What was Paul's Hebrew name? Shaul, which is Saul. So there is every likelihood that Saul is a direct descendant of King Saul. And what did King Saul do? God told him to go destroy the Amalekites, every man, woman, child, and animal, and he did not do it. And his descendant, probably, Shaul here is told by the Lord, I got a job for you and you're going to do it. And he did. So he was probably from the line of Jonathan because everybody else was wiped out. Yep, I would say so. But you know what? Jonathan's not such a bad line to be from. 
Yes, sir. I had a question. Uh, since we know that his name was Saul before he uh, met the road, met Messiah on the road to Damascus, has his name ever been changed to Paul, or do we call him now Paul? Uh, does it say anywhere in the scripture that his name is now Paul versus Saul? No, his name was always Shaul or Saul, but in the Roman world, he would go by Paulus, which they've shortened in our Bibles to Paul because he's a Roman citizen and he wanted to fit in. But it's like Peter. Peter was Simon. Simon. So amongst the Jews, they would call him Simon. Amongst the Greeks, they would call him Peter. Yeah. I don't know why we don't call Pablo Picasso Paul Picasso, but we only just seem to do it to Bible figures. Okay. Number two. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars and I am alone left, and they seek my life. Well, first, let's break that down. Number two, has God cast away his people who he foreknew? Go to Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew. Paul just told us, who did he foreknow? His people. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what did God want from all of the children of Israel? That they would all be saved, right? But, unfortunately, they did not all have faith. So whom did he foreknow his people? Israel. In verse 3, Elijah pleads with God. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Who did this? People in Northern Kenya, be more specific. You know them as Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. What did Jezebel bring into the Northern Kingdom of worship of Baal and Ishtar? Prior to that, they worshiped the golden calves that the king had set up. She made it even worse. Yep, they had gods for everything. Just think about Rome or Greece. You've got Zeus or Jupiter, depending upon whether you're in Greece or Rome, that's the king of the gods. Then you've got Athena, who's the huntress. You've got Mercury, who's the messenger who drives the sun. So they have a god for everything. And they would sometimes go from temple to temple to temple. One's the god of the harvest. One's the god of wine. The god of this, the god of that. I like our kids doing Halloween. Yep. And when Constantine got saved, quote unquote, in Rome, 
They went around all the statues to the gods and renamed them. Instead of Zeus, this is now Paul, and this one is now this, and this one is now that. So it's the same pagan statues. They just have different names. Yeah. Or so they say. I wasn't there. Verse 4 says, But what does the divine response say to him? Quote, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, because that's what he's talking about. 1 Kings 19. That's a very significant chapter. Where did Elijah have his contest with the prophets of Baal? In Mount Carmel, but where in the Bible? 1 Kings 18. So this is the chapter afterwards. Elijah has just demonstrated to all the people that there is but one true and living God, and that's the Lord our God. See, I have a number one out there. Let me look and see what it is. But 1 Kings 19, verses 1 to 18. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. That was at the Mukraka. That was where he destroyed all the prophets of Baal after they were unable to have Baal do anything. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. Why does she mean gods? What does she mean by G-O-D-S? Little G. Baal and Ishtar, the things she worships. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So it doesn't matter to her that Elijah has just proved that there is but one God. She will not bow. When he saw that, he rose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, that's in the south, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Imagine how crestfallen he would be. He has just proven beyond doubt that there is but one God. And instead of the nation repenting, Jezebel said, I swear by my God, you'll be dead by tomorrow. What more could he do? It's funny, it never crossed his mind to go and say, I'm coming after you, girl. Yeah. But he... But he is just so, so downcast. How can they not listen? How can I make them hear they won't hear? Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. 
What's another name for Horeb? Mount Sinai. He doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. That must have been one big meal. Like Moses, like Messiah. 40 days and 40 nights. You have to wonder what time of year it was. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? How would you like God to say that to you after the angel told you to come? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. That's Romans 11.3. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. What's his mantle? His tallit. And went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. Who's the current king of Israel? Ahab. Does this tell you Ahab's not going to rule much longer? Yep. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Did God have a majority in Israel? No. But God had a minority. God has a remnant. God always has a remnant. In Matthew 7, the broad road leads to where? Perdition. Perdition. The narrow road to a life. To life. And few there be who find it. It's not a bad thing to be in the minority. Turn back to Romans chapter 11. Verse 5. Even so then at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. What's he talking about the remnant? He's talking about the Jews who have believed. Are there any? At least 3,000 were saved at that very first Shavuot in Acts chapter 2. And you got Peter, Paul, James, and John, the other apostles, etc. 
Let's go back to 2 Kings 19, verse 31. Second Kings nineteen verse thirty one. Because the Lord is saying to Paul and Paul to the rest, remember I said three thousand years ago that there would be just a remnant. Three thousand is a round broad number, wasn't that exact? Okay. Verse 31, for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So in as we approach the day of the Lord in this end times, do we expect a majority of Israel to be on God's side? No. Just a remnant. Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. Ezra is written at the end of the Babylonian captivity as people are returning to the land. Did all of the Jewish people go back to Israel? No. Did a majority? No. Just a remnant. Ezra chapter 9 verse 8. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us, us, give us a measure of revival in our bondage. In Isaiah chapter 1, 700 years or so before Messiah, give or take. Again, we find the remnant in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. It says, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. When you see the Lord of hosts in verse 9, what kind of prophecy? It's an end times prophecy. So Isaiah tells us that, yes, Israel has come back to the land. But is it all of Israel? Or is it just a remnant? Just a remnant. In Isaiah chapter 10, Verses 20 to 22. We again see the remnant. Verse 20 reads, And it shall come to pass in that day, what day? Day of the Lord, that the remnant of Israel and such have escaped to the house of Jacob, will never again depend on him who defeated him, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. 
For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord, the God of hosts, will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Again, Judah was just two of the twelve tribes. And even of Judah, it will only be a remnant that returns to the Lord in these last days here. We also see the remnants in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11, which is a prophecy about in that day. Isaiah 11, 11 says, It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. In Isaiah 11, verse 16, There should be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria, as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. And Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3, always did amuse me. Every name in the Bible is so significant. And God tells Isaiah how to name one of his sons. Isaiah 7, 3, Now the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Yashuv, your son. What does Shear Yashuv mean? A remnant shall return. Back to Romans. So what's Paul's point? God always said it's not going to be a majority. Just a remnant. So should it surprise us that God got another one right? Shouldn't surprise us at all. Romans 11.6 And if by grace that is no longer of works otherwise grace is no longer grace but if it is of works it is no longer grace otherwise work is no longer work. That sounds like a riddle. You can get tongue tied trying to say that three times fast but all it means is that salvation is a free gift of God. You can't earn it. Salvation produces works. It's not works that produce salvation. And his point is salvation is free. Let's go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. and we'll go through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. I mean, you didn't earn it by faith. He's not trying to say you earned it by faith. But that God has given us a gift because of your faith. And it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua for what? Good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are good works sin? Not at all, right? Means to walk in righteousness. That God had foreordained that all those who come to him by faith will walk uprightly. Let's go to Galatians 2. Since that's so close to Ephesians. Verses 15 to 16. Galatians 2.15 says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. What does he mean by that? That the Jews know the Torah and the Gentiles may not. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah, even we, we being we who are Jews by nature, have believed in Messiah Yeshua, that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So his point is what? Paul says, I grew up in the Jewish world. I knew the commandments. I kept them to the best of my ability, but that didn't save me. I was saved by faith, just like everybody else. There's only one way. Then Hebrews 6 1. Hebrews 6 1. After calling us all babies, yeah, Paul does that a lot. He says, therefore, Hebrews 6 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection. That just means spiritual maturity. Not laying again, meaning not having to relearn the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. We should repent from dead works. Are dead works good, righteous things? No. Stop sinning. Repent. Come to God by faith. Does Paul say this is a hard concept that only the most seasoned of believers can? No. He says these are the elementary things. Of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. You know, he could have just said, and of judgment. Why do you have to throw that word eternal in there? Because come judgment day, what can you do to change the judgment? Nothing. So you could write in the margin of your Bible there, no purgatory. You know why the doctrine of purgatory was promulgated, right? Make money. Make money. Because when your loved one has died and the widow comes in, she has to pay the priest to do the services 
to get the husband eventually out of purgatory. The more money she brings, the sooner he gets out of purgatory. And you don't want your loved one to burn for too long, do you? Before they figured out that the tithe was money? Yes, it was. James 2.26. The Lord said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. James chapter 2. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of people that listen to the teachings later who are not part of the choir. James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What's James' point? You can come to the Lord of Judgment Day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this in your name and done that in your name and still get told what? I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If any of you hear that come Judgment Day, I'm going to be really hurt. So let's go back to Romans chapter 11, verse 7. Turn the page. What then? Remember, Paul's not there. He's never met them. He's trying to anticipate the arguments. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. What does it seek? Salvation. But the elect have obtained it. Meaning those who've been saved by faith out of Israel have obtained it. And the rest were blinded just as it is written. God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. What does that mean? That means the reason they don't believe is God won't let them? That's not what it means. It means because they don't want to believe that God will let them have their choice. Did you read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It tells us why God allows them not to see. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. We'll start in verse 9. How about 8? You want me to go for seven? No, we'll start in eight. And then the lawless one, referring to Daniel chapter seven, verse twenty-five, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why does God allow them not to see and hear? Because they don't want to. 
They don't want to because that would mean having to repent, which would mean having to stop their sin, and they would rather walk in sin. Boy, what a bad, bad decision. Go back to Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because they don't want to believe. They see a beautiful lady at Baal Peor and say, the beautiful lady or some desert god, yeah. And they choose poorly. Isaiah 29.10 as we're coming quickly to a close. Isaiah 29.10. We may as well start in 9 for context. Pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They're drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. He has covered your heads, namely the seers. Why? Because they don't want to hear. John 12. People have long said, why doesn't God just make me do what he wants me to do? But God will never do that. He may feed you to a fish for a while, but you still get to choose. John chapter 12, verse 37. It'll quote from Isaiah 53, 1. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe. There's the key. They did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. The key, though, is verse 37. They chose not to believe. And God didn't make them. If they want to walk in sin and unbelief, God will not force them to worship him. Well, our time has expired. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Romans chapter 11, verse 9.